0: Hi, good morning. Merry Christmas. We're in the very beginning of the New Testament this morning in Matthew chapter 1. Looking at Joseph, we're going to begin reading at verse 18. resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. When I was a young boy, my mother taught piano. And she would travel to where she was uh, born and raised, Ten miles north of where we lived, in Modesto, to a little uh, hamlet called Ripon. Any of you heard of Ripon? It was uh, under a thousand at the time. My grandfather owned the reliable garage. He had a glass tank gas, a pump gas machine. And you drove down and that's where he had his shop and he had a pit. They didn't have hydraulic lifts or any of that. He'd come home every afternoon for lunch and the grandma would have a hot meal because lunch was dinner, if you know what I mean. And they came out of the Depression, so if you opened Grandma's refrigerator, there'd be all these little saucers with a handful of peas or a dab of potatoes, and then she'd mix that into something. But every Saturday I went with Mom, and we'd make that drive, and those were precious times. And then she would teach piano throughout the day, and then I would figure out what to do. And sometimes Grandmother uh, would... Involved me in her duties. She would teach me how to cook. I learned how to to bake cakes and break eggs and do all of that sort of thing, and that was a great deal of, of uh, special fun for me. Uh, sometimes she'd tell me Bible stories and other things, but if I didn't have a friend in the neighborhood or in the, in the area to play with, uh, sometimes I would root around and just uh, make my own adventures. And sometimes, if I couldn't get outdoors, I would spend a lot of time looking at old photographs, photographs of people I had never met, never seen, except in a snapshot, in a pile of pictures, old black and white pictures that I found up in the closet and asked Grandmother if I could look at them. And as I would look at these people, I would imagine what uh, what life was like for them, uh, who they were, what their interests were, and I would spin stories about their lives and how to live. Can you advance that? Here's just a couple of examples And this man, this man really interests me. He makes me think of Joseph, because Joseph, like to me the people in these pictures, Joseph is kind of a forgotten figure of Christmas. He's there, but he's not there. We only have a snapshot of him. In fact, what we've just read about Joseph is probably the best snapshot we have. We don't hear a lot about him. There aren't many songs sung about Joseph. We don't sing, Joseph, did you know? In fact, and this should really surprise you, it continues to shock me, we don't have one word from Joseph. Not one. There are no notable lines, quotable quotes. Not one word. Yet, in Matthew's gospel, Joseph is front and center. He's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's really an incredible guy. If you situate yourself in his world and his circumstances, at this time, in this snapshot, as we look at him. If we try to get down into his soul and imagine how we would have handled, even if we translate his circumstances to our own day and time, even if we convert, so to speak, Joseph into a friend or into a relative or into a boss, or into someone else in our life, in the drama and experience of our lives, if we situate ourselves in Joseph in a way just like I used to do with these pictures, it helps us to understand that we have connections with Joseph, how he expressed his faith in God under such trying circumstances. And trying, trying, difficult, they were. It's even interesting to imagine, and I know it's, it's, it's imaginative, it's not real, but what would it be like if, if Joseph had not abandoned his plan and gone with God's? Joseph is an incredible guy, to me, because he symbolizes noble sacrifice. Joseph teaches us about real sacrifice. Sacrifice as worship to God. That sacrifice should be done from love that it should be done from necessity. That it should be done for people who need your strength because they don't have enough of their own. But the real heart and soul of that sacrifice is found in worship, worship of God, not worship of self, not worship of my own wishes and desires, it's got to be found face-to-face with God in worship of him. There are no shortcuts, but out of that worship comes compassion, a compassionate heart, an openness to things that we wouldn't consider under any other circumstances. Sometimes when we're, so to speak, getting down on our knees, it's hard because we're full of ourselves, our plans, our hopes, our desires. But when we worship... When we turn to God, open our hearts to him, become quiet before him, that is the source. That's where sacrifice is conceived and bravery is born. There are so many ways to be brave in this world. Sometimes bravery involves laying down our lives for something bigger than ourselves. That's what Joseph does. Something bigger than himself. Sometimes it involves giving up our dreams, what we've hoped for and hope to love for the sake of something greater. Not something within our grasp, but within God's grasp. And that is the sweetest sacrifice. The sweetest sacrifice, for it's the sacrifice known to God alone. That's what I see in Joseph. That's what Joseph makes me think about, is the sacrifice known to God alone, and just how sweet and precious that is. And out of that heart of sacrifice, that willingness, you know, to divest myself, to set aside what I want, what I desire, what I expected, and to become quiet and wait upon him, and to, to think his thoughts after him, to imagine my world and the world after him in view of him in the way he does. And we see all those pieces right here. We do. We see all those pieces. We see God's big heart, his big dream, so big that it dwarfs what Joseph was facing, but he could have never imagined on his own. And when God implants his Spirit in our lives, when we know him, when we've been touched by the one whose birth we celebrate, it causes us to think big big, big, instead of small, 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 which is what we are when we're wrapped up in ourselves. What it was that Billy Graham said, uh, I've never met a man smaller than when he's wrapped up in himself. That's true of any person. When we become wrapped up in ourselves, others can see it. They can't talk about it. We won't hear it when we're wrapped up in ourselves. But if we could, we'd say, get out more. (laughs) Open yourself up to a bigger world in which God is alive and at work. Start to see things through His eyes. That's what the Christmas story opens us up to. And Joseph. Is among the first. The sweetest sacrifice is the secret sacrifice known to God alone. Joseph's life plan was altered. At first, the news of Mary and the baby was not good news, it was a living nightmare for Joseph. What's your living nightmare? This was a living nightmare. And it's remarkable to me. We're told he's a just man. And there's a tension, there's a fight involved when you're a just person because there is what's right and what you must do. And what's right and what he must do is very difficult for him. It takes us back to Deuteronomy in its harshest form. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 20 through 24. Because the fact that she is bearing a child outside of a legitimate consecrated marriage puts her under the punishment of the law. Jesus dealt with a similar situation in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, the opening verses. A woman is caught in adultery, and the religious leaders bring her to Jesus. And Jesus is asked to adjudicate. He's asked to act as judge. That's when he stoops down and he writes something. We'd love to know what he wrote in the dirt. And when he stands up, he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. Why? Because that was the according to the law, the punishment. That's what Joseph is struggling with. Because he's a just and good and righteous man who wants to live and serve God. He wants to do the right thing. So he's wrestling with the strict letter of the law that could be applied to this young maiden that he's going to devote his life to and all of his life plans. I mean, his dreams have been turned to ash, turned to a living nightmare. Everything's crumbling before him. All of his hopes. All of his hopes. If you and I were in that situation, how would we respond? Would we not also feel personally injured? And isn't it when we are personally, when we believe, when we perceive that we've been personally injured and wrong, what comes with that but anger? We might express it in different ways. But our lives become involved in this kind of a drama. Joseph is there, and he's trying to do the right thing. He's seeking the Lord. He's waiting upon him. We know this because there are a couple indications here. One is, he chooses to put Mary away quietly, as quietly as he possibly can. He doesn't want to put her to shame. That is huge! If every person in this world would take that course of action, it would be a world of peace. It really would. If we could swallow our own personal sense of reaction Revulsion and wanting to get revenge and choose to put the other person's interests ahead of our own and do what he was going to do, try and eliminate the shame. It suggests to me that Joseph didn't believe Mary when she told him That must have been quite a conversation. They didn't believe in virgin birth. So naturally, Joseph says, you've been unfaithful. But he's wrestling with this, and in the midst of this, and this, this we're not given a, an exact time frame, but we are told that he has a dream, and it's not introduced as though he went to sleep and had a dream, but afterwards we're told he woke up. So we are looking at probably a period of time in which Joseph is wrestling with this issue. And how does he do this quietly? Because when they become betrothed, they are, even as they are here, called husband and wife, even though they don't live in the same place. And that there will be an official ceremony and consummation of the marriage. And yet now all of this is being blown up. And he can, in the case of two witnesses her away, divorce her. But I'm sure he's trying to figure out how to minimize this. And in the weariness of it all, you know, he's asleep, and the angel of the Lord speaks to him and basically gives Joseph a dream. God replaces Joseph. Joseph's nightmare competes with Joseph's living nightmare with a dream. A dream. A dream so big. I mean, it involves all of history, past and future, and the world. Now he's confronted with two crazy things going on. And in this dream, he's told Jesus will save his people from their sin. That this is the fulfillment of prophecy. What he will do is not out of the blue. It's fulfillment of a plan in motion, a plan in progress. on the scale of which God is working it's bigger than any one life and if we cannot approach God as God we'll never be able to fathom his work in our lives because his work always involves more than John Venema or more than just you It's one of the things in leadership that I have certainly learned when people come to me and they want me to serve them in some way, which I am eager to do, they do not consider the larger picture that I have to take into consideration because I'm interested in the concerns of all the people involved and not just the special interest of one person. That's the way God works. And he's at work in this global plan And Joseph is offered this incredible opportunity to enter into the dream of God. If there's one thing I would love for you to take away from this morning in the Christmas spirit is to expect great things from God. To imagine that God can do great things even in your situation. If you'll move with him, he'll work through you in that situation, and he'll make a difference. Joseph does that because in a heart and spirit of worship, he is willing to sacrifice unto the Lord, his own plans, his own expectations, and wait upon God, and do and move with God. And it changes everything. Not only his plan was changed, but his relationships were rearranged. God did turn a living nightmare into a dream, but there are the practical implications, this network of a family that's involved. It's not just him and Mary in isolation. We live in a different world, and we're being caused to think that we are independent, individual agents in this world. But we are not. Everything we do is connected to others. And sometimes we don't realize that until we've lost our good name or our good name comes into jeopardy. And that is a very painful thing. In Proverbs, we're told that a good name is worth more than silver or gold. Now, that's not like picking out a baby name. That's not what I'm talking about. We're, We're talking about the good reputation, the esteem or... The character in which you are held, because that has to do with the way we fit into this world and fit into the lives of others. But increasingly, even though through social media we feel like we're more connected, we're becoming isolated. And individualism is being elevated to such a state that in an increasingly way we think only of ourselves. What's best for me? What's best for me? This is so contrary to what God would have us do. And Joseph has to be thinking about these relationships. And God is calling him into a relationship that he was trying to break up. And he's telling Joseph, you've got to return to this relationship. You've got to see everything in a new way. You've got to see Mary in a new light. And you have to see this child in a way you did not see it at all. This child, this child is going to be the Savior, not just of you, Joseph, and not just of Mary, but my people. You know, it's a pretty amazing amazing thing. You know, I thought, wow, I guess Joseph will have to take a back seat to Mary and Jesus. I guess Joseph won't be the head of his house. I guess Joseph, you know, he's being given the name. That was a distinct prerogative and privilege of the Father. In fact, we saw that in Luke chapter 1, if you read from the very beginning of Luke, Zechariah is given the name of the son which is going to be born to him. It's the name of John. It's given by the angel. But when he asks for a sign and doesn't believe the angel, doesn't believe God could do that, he's given a sign. And the sign is you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born. And so who do the people want? name the baby. They're trying to influence Zechariah, and they want Zechariah to name the baby after him. And then after the baby's born, he's able to speak, and he says, no, its name is going to be John. But it's kind of an amazing thing because, in a sense, even though Joseph won't have to take a back seat to Mary and Jesus, clearly God will be the head of this family. And that's what God wants for each and every family. He wants to be the head because he is the bringer and maker of peace. He's the one who properly orders our relationships. He reorders Joseph, and we don't like it. We don't like change. But he allows Joseph to see Mary and Jesus in an entirely new light. And God wants that for each and every one of us. In fact, that's the message from Genesis on, that each and every person has a dignity because they are created in the image of God. And even more than that, even higher than that, is the redemptive imprimatur that God puts on every person through Jesus Christ, that you are important to me. You are as precious and as valuable to me as this child, my one and only son. If you could fathom your identity not through your own achievements or your own ambitions, your own dreams. Isn't it that which upsets us? Isn't, that which, isn't it that which causes this kind of drama? Because we feel threatened in who we are trying to make ourselves to be. And God is saying, I'm giving you an identity in Jesus Christ that will alter your life plans, that will reorder your relationships and show you who you really are and who you can really be and the things you can really achieve when you move with me in my dream and not in your personal and petty plans. And it was through this that his destiny was discovered. We're told that in verse 25. He called his name Jesus. That's pretty powerful. Because that expresses, if you will, that he acquiesces to the will of God. He says, your will, not my will be done. His sacrifice changed the way he sees others, the way he sees himself. So you can see that Joseph was really an important part of God's plan, a bigger dream. And he was asking Joseph, substitute your dreams for my dream, your plans for my plan. And the secret of Joseph in the story of Christmas is really everyone's secret and everyone's story. All of us are called to legitimize God's Son. All of us are called to receive Him, to welcome Him in the status not of a mamzer, which was an illegitimate child, which is the condition that he would have been. Joseph legitimized legally, legally, Jesus Christ. He became a legal descendant of Joseph, even though Joseph was not his biological father. He gave him that legal status, which is we're introduced to in the very genealogy of the Gospel of Matthew. But in a way, we are called to legitimize Jesus by recogni- recognizing him, As who he really is which is what Joseph did that he is the Son of God that he is the one whom God ordained who sent Jesus to be the Savior of our lives from sin sin is trivialized But we know, we know that deep within us, we need to be delivered from who we really are. In our cussedness, in our selfishness, in our stubbornness. That's my constant battle. That's the battle that Paul, the apostle, talked about when he talked about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Me in my independence and the Holy Spirit who has now been poured out upon his church at work in me that is the spirit that came upon Mary that was operative in the inception and the birth of Jesus that Jesus should be one with us even as he is one with the Father Emmanuel God with us he knows what we suffer and experience And yet he resolves that in us in a way that is so bona fide that we can have confidence of who we are, a new identity in Christ that is empowered by that same Spirit that operated in Jesus in his public ministry, raised him from the dead, exalted him to the right hand of God, And it was from that exalted position that the Father said, yes, you have the privilege of pouring out the promise of the Father upon your people, the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's the spirit of Christmas. That's the spirit of new life. That's the spirit of rebirth, which is through the Spirit. That's the spirit of being washed and forgiven. That's the spirit of not only knowing it, but letting it go, letting a past go, and being open to a bright new day, to see things in a hopeful way. Do you know how powerful that is? To frame your world and your life with hope, to not be stuck in something that happened yesterday or years ago, To see people beyond themselves in their pettiness and their ugliness. Yes, they've hurt you, they've wronged you. But to see them in the bigger picture through the eyes of Jesus, whom God sent his son to redeem, a redemption you know in your own heart. That's Christmas. Whether it's in circumstances that you can't control, And what circumstances don't usually involve people you can't control. But in whatever your circumstances and situation, we can remember Joseph, who tried to do the right thing, but it was only through God's dream that he could really resolve, because he had the tools, the supernatural tools, to resolve things that were too big for him. But a dream was given to him that was bigger than all of his difficulties and all of his broken desires. And that's the spirit of Christmas. That's the heart of Christmas. And to find it, all we have to do is to begin to worship him. For it is out of worship of him that that heart of sacrifice and bravery and a dream comes. And the power of the spirit to change our world our little world but as God does that in all of us it has a bigger and bigger impact it's called the gospel this morning if you don't know Jesus Christ where's your Savior who's your Savior Who loves you, who cares for you? Who can you confide with who knows you as you really are? Who can you bear your soul to whom you know has a redemptive desire to see you grow, to see you prosper, to see you Become a better version of yourselves, not just for yourself or for your own advantage, but that you might be a source of strength, encouragement, hope to others. Nothing brings greater happiness than the meaning of a life that counts, not just for me, but for others. And it all begins with Jesus. And that's what we celebrate. Will you stand with me? I'm going to give us the opportunity, uh, after prayer, if if you would like to uh, pray with me, uh, speak with me, intercede for someone else. You know, there are burdens that people bear, and I have to talk to myself when I say this because the things that are heavy on me, I don't, I don't always share with others. I share it with the Lord, but sometimes to bring that to someone else in prayer that you can trust, that understands, to bring that to the Lord is a very freeing and very helpful thing. No, no reason to come and worship him and leave without praying with somebody. Whatever's on your heart. I'm going to be here. Pastoral staff, elders, their wives, we invite you to come. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, kindle spark within us a much bigger heart, a much grander mind to contain the dream that is our reality in Christmas, in Christ. Father, help us to recover the majesty and the power of who you are and what you are doing. It should not be done without us, but with us through trust, sacrifice, bravery. We pray that we might exercise that faith in you because of Christmas, for Christmas, by Christmas, because of Jesus. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We praise you in Jesus' name.